Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Jennifer Earle to the podcast today. Jen is a chocolate expert, awards judge and food innovation consultant. She runs chocolate tastings and bespoke food tours to showcase London's culinary highlights. And every week she sends a newsletter via Substack called The Next Delicious Thing with her latest recommendations. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. My favourite topic. (laughs) So today you've got your chocolate expert head on. Um, When did your love affair with chocolate begin? I my mum told me that she ate a Mars bar every day that she was pregnant with me. Um, so in utero, I guess. Although like my kind of chocolate preferences go a little bit more highbrow now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, my whole family are chocoholics. Like we would always choose chocolate for dessert if we had the option. Yeah. So I think it's just in my blood. And how did you make it part of your career? I mean, what what was your trajectory from? You know, how did you end up doing these amazing culinary tours and becoming a chocolate judge and all of that. I know if I could tell my 12-year-old self. <laughs> yeah. I always wanted to start a business. I'm not really sure why. I think I just like the idea of the freedom of it. And so when I moved back to England, I wrote a list of all the things that I loved doing because mm. I'd heard the line that if you do something you'll love, you'll never work a yeah. day in your life, which, which sounds great. <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> and totally not true, yes. Yeah. So that was a rude shock. But I thought, um, okay, let's start this. Let's um, write a list of all the things. And I, from that, I wrote down ideas. And because I had no money and no real experience at mm. that point, I thought, I could do chocolate tours. I love speaking to people. I love London and its architecture. I love chocolate. I love tasting things. So I was like, let's do this. This can be my business to learn how to run a business. And then I will have my million pound idea and, you know, (laughs) still running this business 18 years later, but I love it. And it is, it is definitely, I guess, like work some days, but it's, you know, your perspective changes as you get older, I think. And do you feel like you're always learning? There's always something new to learn. Yes, I was afraid of doing it. The thing, there were two things that nearly put me off. One, I'm also obsessed with nutrition and I was slightly uncomfortable about how do I feel about encouraging people to eat chocolate every day. And the other thing was that I love chocolate so much that I thought if it was my job, would I end up, you know, hating my job and hating chocolate and it would all be ruined. Um, but it turns out I love chocolate more than ever. And there's been such an explosion in the chocolate industry in the last 10 to 15 yeah. years that there's always something new to learn. I love that. Well, let's dive in with the raw ingredients and talk a bit about cocoa beans, which aren't actually beans at all, are they? They're not. They are seeds, seeds of the cocoa fruit. And I don't really know why we ended up calling them beans. I guess they look a little bit like beans like, and they're dried. But yeah, they're definitely not a legume. So the cocoa fruit is about the size of a rugby ball and it has 30 to 50 seeds inside and they're all surrounded by this white um, fleshy fruit. It's a little slimy, kind of a little bit like a lychee, but not quite as firm. (laughs) And there's very little fruit inside the pod, but the seeds are actually what we call cocoa beans. It goes through a whole load of other processes before we get to eat it as chocolate, but it's, um, yeah. We still, I still call them beans, so it's just too confusing for people yeah. otherwise. And I found it fascinating to um, 
to realise that um, in its raw form, it doesn't have anything like the flavour of chocolate as we know it. The fruit doesn't, no. No, No, and it's really hard to taste the fruit unless you actually go to the hot countries where cocoa grows because... Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, there's not much fruit. So transporting this pod that weighs like one to two kilos is pretty inefficient for the amount of fruit mm. that you get. But also in order to get great tasting chocolate, you need the fruit. Right. So all the fruit and the seeds are removed from the pod and then they get fermented for three to seven days. So yeah. chocolate is a fermented food. So it's great for our gut. And, you know, like I was going to say that because <laughs> the ferment, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, like wine and cheese. Chocolate is a fermented product. All the great foods. <laughs> and um, and I, I've heard it mentioned on other podcasts I've listened to, you know, about um, nutrition podcasts with I know Tim Spector's a fan of yes. dark chocolate. And it's like, thanks, you know, I've got permission now. <laughs> exactly. But it, it actually has got, you know, medicinal properties. Historically, it was used in medicine and it's got nutritional properties as well. It does. So as well as being a fermented food, it has a greater number of vitamins and minerals than any other food that's found naturally on the planet. So you have iron, copper, chromium, magnesium, selenium, zinc, manganese, B2, B6, phenylethylamine, and anamide, theobromine, wow. so many. Like it's, I think part of the reason that people crave it is because of needing some of those vitamins and minerals. This is yeah. my excuse anyway. Um, but it also has the those polyphenols as well that are good for helping you get rid of all the um, oxidation in your body and things. So that's potentially not accurate. But yeah. It's got the antioxidant capacity, yeah. capacity as well. So fermenting is, is the first stage of the process. That's right. Yeah. Can you take us through the other stages and, and what they kind of do to affect the taste of the final chocolate? Yeah. So every stage of the um, process of making chocolate can affect the flavour. So yeah. first the fruit and the seeds are taken out and they're fermented and that takes five to seven days. And so if they're turned every day and if you have under-fermented chocolate, you end up with chocolate that tastes kind of like um, like an underripe banana, so kind of that astringent oh, yeah, kind I know. of like mouth-drying. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then if you have over-fermented beans and you end up with kind of bready tasting, like when you've over-proved dough. Okay. So you have to get the fermentation right to begin right. with. And also that's the important part of that is actually bringing in some of that fruit taste into the chocolate. So most confectionery doesn't really go through a carefully controlled fermentation process. Okay. All the seeds will start fermenting just in the process of transportation. But accurate fermenting gives you a really great taste to your chocolate that you'll know if you've got a high enough percentage chocolate. Mm. So then the beans are dried. And ideally, this is done in the sun. But if it's done by a fire, then you could potentially get smoke into wow. the beans, which will give you a smoky tasting chocolate. So that's like in the International Chocolate Awards, we say that that is um, a flaw. And so it will be disqualified if we really? taste. Yeah, unless oh. there's a couple of companies, there's one in Texas and one in Grenada who intentionally smoke their beans. Okay. But otherwise, it's it's just considered you've not done the process properly. So would that be called, would that be like in the flavoured chocolate for, uh, yeah, category? So then it would, you're yeah. right, then it would go into the, because we have lots of categories yeah. that would go in the flavoured <laughs> category. Um, and I mean, for some people, it's a preference and they might like it. Yeah. But if it's done just because they're kind of trying to quicken the drying process right, and they're not doing, yeah, yeah, it's a flaw. Um, even the speed at which you dry can make a difference to the taste. And then the beans are roasted. So they that will bring out some of the kind of caramelization, more of the coffee roasted notes that you'll get in chocolate. There's always over 400 different flavor compounds found in chocolate. It's the most flavor complex oh. food as well or drink. It's more complex than coffee or wine. And then you have um, the 
grinding or the conching. So you remove the shells for the cocoa seeds, beans, and then it's kind of like a mortar and pestle, but mechanical. So you're grinding between stones, which makes it all into small particles, but it warms it up as well. So you have it become a liquid. Just oh, with okay. pure cocoa beans turns into a liquid, even though they feel quite dry and yeah. hard when you taste them. Um, and that the length of time that you will conch for will also affect the flavor. So the longer you conch for, it won't necessarily get smoother in texture, but it will evaporate some of the acidity. So because the fruit has turned into a vinegar mm. in the process of fermentation, some of that's then penetrated the seed, which is good because it helps kill the bit that could germinate so it's more digestible. Yeah, But it does give it sometimes quite an acidic taste. So if you conch for long enough, then you will remove some of that acidity. Okay. So that will be changing the flavor as well. And then, um, then how much sugar or other ingredients you yeah, add will much. also change the flavor. Mm. And so with the even like roasting time, so going back to the roasting, so the time and temperature will affect wow. the flavor as well. So it's incredibly complex. And then the final part is to temper the chocolate. So the heating, cooling and yeah. heating again, pouring in a mold and voila. Voila. <laughs> simple. Yeah. simple. Oh, three weeks later, <laughs> yeah. after growing a tree for several years. So people who are, you know, what we would call like high-end chocolate, artisan chocolate, are they controlling every bit of that process? Not all of them. So Not all of them. So we have what we call tree-to-bar and bean-to-bar. So tree-to-bar would likely be controlling everything because they right. own the farm as well um, or like have their – completely involved with it, have some partial stake in it. And um, bean-to-bar, they're buying their beans. So – some of the bean-to-bar makers, though, do get involved in the process of fermentation, <clears throat> which happens on the farm. So there's a maker in Denmark, um, Frizz Holm, who is excellent, won lots of awards. And he did an experiment where instead of turning the beans once a day during the fermentation, he asked the farmers to divide the batch into three. <laughs> and once was turned once, once twice, once three times. And then he kept every other variable the same. So the only difference was the number of times that was turned so more aeration the three bars tasted completely different wow that's incredible he still sells at least two of them yeah and but they I think they all won awards so it just like it's extra labour extra cost so we stick to once a day but it's fascinating that just you can just something so tiny can change the whole flavour profile yeah it's wow. amazing um Let's talk a bit about quality because you said that um, judging a bar on its cocoa percentage is like judging a bottle of wine by its alcohol percentage. Yeah, you just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Although, but having said that, it's not to say that it's not completely unhelpful. So no. you know with a wine that, you know, the higher it is, the, the sweeter it's going to be. Yeah. So you want a dry wine, you might look for a lower cocoa percentage, but it would be better in wine or chocolate, to know the maker, to kind of read the description on the yeah. package, to read the tasting notes, and to understand that some makers you might enjoy more. There might be um, products within one maker's stable that yeah. you like and some that you don't. So you have different varieties of cocoa beans as well yeah. that can change the flavor. So yeah. I think it got, because it, you know, generally we've been told the higher the percentage, the better. Or I think it's, I, I mean, I know that that's not necessarily true because I've talked to enough people like you who say, no, no, a lot of it is the quality, the maker, your own personal taste, everything. But there's a general thing, isn't there, where people think, oh, yeah, 70% and over, that means it's better than something that's 60%. But that's not true. No. So to be um, 
considered a fine chocolate under European law, it needs to have a minimum of 60% cocoa yeah. content for a dark chocolate and 30% for a milk or white mm -hmm. chocolate. So when, um, for anyone who doesn't know already, the cocoa percentage refers to the percentage of ingredients that is cocoa bean, which includes potentially additional cocoa butter. So yeah. you often have more cocoa butter than you find in the natural ratio of a cocoa bean. So 60% in a good dark chocolate is 40% sugar, 80% chocolate yeah. is 20% sugar. So it does give you a really good indicator, indicator. of how much sugar you're consuming yeah. and therefore like a, quite, quite a good indicator of how sweet the bar will be. But it doesn't tell you anything about the quality of the chocolate. Mm. And it sometimes doesn't even tell you how sweet a bar or bitter a bar will mm. taste. So the kind of the brands that everyone will know that their version of a dark chocolate, which is 36% cocoa content, it's, not. it's incredibly bitter yeah. and it's incredibly sweet. It's very weird to kind of have those two things side by side. Together. But you can have a 70% chocolate that's really bitter and yeah. horrible. And then you have an 85% chocolate. I've given 85% chocolates to people and they're like, oh, this has to be 70 because it doesn't have any of the bitter notes yeah. in the cocoa bean. So it doesn't need so much sugar to offset it. Yeah. So you, it, for, for anyone listening, your 100% cocoa bar is not going to be the best thing you've ever tasted. In fact, it'll just taste quite... <laughs> so yeah, 100% is like the espresso of chocolate. Yeah. And that means that like there are people who... Like Love it. it, yeah. And so, in fact, quite a lot of the craft chocolate makers, I know a few years ago, some of them were telling me that they sold more 100% than all of their really? other bars combined. Wow. Because if you get a great 100% yeah. chocolate, you cannot tell it's 100%. So when I do tastings, so I do, um, I did a lot online in the pandemic, but I sometimes do like after dinner talks mm. for companies and we taste things. And quite often, a bit of a spoiler here, but I give them 100% to start with. And I've had people be like, oh, this is 80, 85, because it's such a good quality 100% wow. that you can't, you, like, it almost tastes sweet. So if, you, if you're if you open to it and get a good quality one, then, it's, then you might enjoy it. You still might not. Yeah. It's not going to be for everybody. It's going to be it's going to be quite oh, not overpowering, but quite strong it flavors. Is, but what's also really interesting is that if you taste it again, so if you taste it, you don't love it, and you try the second piece and then try it a third time, yeah. it actually gets easier to eat and you taste less of what you might call bitterness mm. or astringency because our our senses are kind of like our brain, everything's adapted to go bitter equals poison, yeah. but then you get accustomed to it and you keep consuming it. So if you pay attention the next time you drink a black coffee or a red wine or a hoppy beer, like the first sip, you're like, why on earth do I drink this? This is like... <laughs> Wild, um, but then you keep drinking and you start mm. noticing the fruity notes and yeah. the the elegance and the other flavors, and you you become habituated to the bitterness and yeah. the astringency. It's a, it's a grown up flavor, isn't it? Kids like don't like bitter flavors. No, you know, yes. you, it's something that you kind of <laughs> accumulate. You uh, sorry, acclimatize yourself to exactly by having it again and again and again. Yeah, and I mean, if people don't want to, I mean, like, no. absolutely don't force yeah. Don't force it, that's fine. Like, <laughs> but I think it, it's fascinating as an experiment to just taste yeah. taste it a few times and see if it, it come, becomes something that's tolerable. Let's talk a bit about judging because you do a lot of judging. You do the, is it the International Chocolate Awards? Yeah. I once did one day chocolate judging and it wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. In fact, I found it quite overwhelming and quite exhausting and at the end of the day I just wanted to lie down and not eat anything and you know just drink lots of water yeah because um, it's 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 pretty heavy but you say like 
judging is both objective and subjective. So I guess you're bringing your expertise, but you're also bringing things that you, you can't help bringing what you like, can you? Exactly. And that's why I think it's really important that on the grand jury for the International Chocolate Awards and mm. the Academy of Chocolate Awards and Great Taste, there's always several people. So we have like five to 12 people. Yeah. And that means that you're hopefully going to balance out those personal preferences that we have because our memories, even what we've eaten that morning, make a huge difference to what we enjoy. And as much as you can intellectually say, oh, well, you know, I can put that aside, it's very difficult to. I think the more you practice, the easier you can say, oh, I don't like licorice, but I can see that this is well-made and well-balanced and therefore an excellent chocolate and deserving of of an award. And so in that sense, like the more you practice, the more objective you can be. And there are some factors about the appearance and yeah. sort of smoothness, texture and things are a little bit more objective, but it's um, and balance and things. But yeah, it's definitely always going to be a little bit subjective. Yeah. Could I mean, could people do their own little chocolate tasting at home? Do you think if they would do maybe like get would, would they get different percentages or different types? How would they what would you suggest? Yeah, definitely. So buying I would definitely recommend buying a few different um, percentages, but also getting a few different origins of yeah. the same percentage, because that's like the easiest way I think to realize. And I've got some for us to mm. taste as well, where you can try say 70% or 75%. And so, um, the ones I've got 75% from Dormouse, one is from Grenada and another one is from Peru Yeah, and they taste totally different. Wow. And it's just, I mean, not totally, obviously they both still taste like chocolate, but it's really quite amazing to try them, but you'll probably only get that experience if you buy good quality craft chocolate yeah. which kind of retails at five pounds plus per <laughs> five pounds plus per bar which is more like a 70 gram bar rather than a 100 yeah. gram bar so it's it's uh, significantly more expensive than confectionery chocolate but you will generally eat less of it especially if it's dark yeah what what are the i know there must be i've seen flavor wheels there must be a million different flavors in chocolate but what are the what are the main flavors that that you kind of look for or we we can look for when we're just tasting chocolate so i would look for fruity is quite common and then you can divide that so the tasting wheel that i've got has um fruity floral uh roasted notes um which kind of includes your chocolate and coffee and bread kind of notes and then um sort of vegetal notes um not my preference but then you might have something like um pine or kind of green banana rosemary those kind of like green kind of notes um and then i'm thinking so fruit is quite a big category because you kind of goes into stone fruits, red fruits, tropical fruits, yeah. um, and then dairy as well. So even though, um, even in dark chocolate, you might have kind of caramel, yeah. buttery notes as well. Definitely. I've, 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 I was thinking that when you were talking there that I've definitely, and I'm a, I'm a fan of that sort of caramelly back note in yes, a chocolate. Me too. Makes <laughs> it really easy. Let's talk a little bit about buying chocolate, because uh, apart from the quality and taste, there are ethical and sustainable claims made. How, how do we navigate that if we want to buy good chocolate and buy chocolate which is, you know, doing good as well? With difficulty, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. There is what I, what I see as a lot of greenwashing in the industry. Um, I think it's really, really difficult to get great quality chocolate um, for, like, in great quality and great ethics to a chocolate bar if it costs, um, it needs to cost at least a minimum five pounds per hundred grams. Mm. And 
the only way that you can get it less than that is by utilizing a massive factory from a massive company who the rest of their operations are not as ethical. So, I mean, even there's a lot of um, halo effects used as well. So like Cadbury have a fair trade balance system. So the quantity that they produce for dairy milk um, of the cocoa beans that they need to produce that, they have, they buy as fair trade, but then it all gets mixed up in their system. So they can have fair trade stickers on just their dairy milk products. Right. And that um, even though it may not be fair trade beans that go into that bar. And so that they're having that fair trade sticker on their hero product gives the impression that they're, all of their products are fair trade. And then they're also often creating up their own systems, which might be good, but it's really inefficient mm-hmm. for everybody to create their own systems. And they're often more about appearance. And there was a court case last year where um, some boys who were trafficked as slaves took the big, um, big players to court in the U.S., and they lost, and and oh, it's no, really? yeah, wow. and they would. It wasn't that they didn't believe them; it was just that the um, big companies weren't deemed responsible. Oh God, because there's no chain. Yeah. yeah. So I think if you're looking to buy truly ethical chocolate, yeah, it really does need to come from smaller makers who will share so much information on their mm. packaging, um, and charge at least that five pounds per hundred grams and going onto their website or their packaging and you'll start to see those kind of businesses. I think, yeah, I think we've uh, heard that a lot on the podcast with all sorts of different, um, you know, ingredients and, and products. Like we were talking about honey the other day and, you know, how much honey gets mass produced and it's not, it's just not a really great product. But then we are producing amazing small batch honey around the country and I guess it's the same with chocolate you know there are those producers who are doing it and and will have full um, visibility on their websites and on their packaging to say so again it's up to us as a consumer to go and you know find out it's a bit tedious I do have um, a page on my website I think it's hidden but I can send you the link for it which has um, British and Irish um, bean to bar producers um, on it that um, are all in my opinion ethical Cool. So if someone's listening to this today and they want to kind of get started on a, a journey of, you know, chocolate, they want to kind of move out of their comfort zone, what what would your advice be? Ooh, um, I would say to, um, yeah, I mean, have a look at that link, but I have to yeah. admit, have a, buy, some, buy some chocolate from some really great craft makers. I mean, yeah. if you typed craft, British craft chocolate maker into yeah. Google, you'd probably get some great options yeah, as well. Right. Um, yeah, I would sign up to my newsletter and I recommend them regularly or yeah. email me. That's fine too. <laughs> and I think, yeah, supporting those ones and tasting those and buy a couple of different percentages or buy the same bar from different makers and you'll see how interesting it can be. Yeah, I, yeah it's, I love that. Just starting, you could end up like Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say perhaps it's also worth if starting with ones that have awards. So there are plenty of great chocolate bars that don't have awards. Okay. But um, there's also some not great craft chocolate bars and it's so upsetting. I mean, you might have experienced this with judging that sometimes there's these bars that look amazing and they cost lots of money and yeah. they taste terrible and it frustrates me so much because I'm worried that someone might try that bar as their first ever craft chocolate because, experience. And it's really expensive. And they'll be like, these and, yeah. people are crazy. It's like yeah. Emperor's New Clothes. They just think that they're tasting good chocolate because yeah. it's expensive. And it's it's not. So there are bad 
expensive chocolate bars. So please, if you try one and it's bad, try again. <laughs> which are the award? Which do, do the awards have stamps that we're talking about that, yes. so people can look out for them? Yeah. So the International Chocolate Awards. Um, do gold, silver, and bronze. So do the Academy of Chocolate Awards, and then the Great Taste the great has taste three, well, two, and one star. That's great. Yeah, that's all really good advice and practical, and it'll you know hopefully set someone else up on a journey. I hope so. To discover, um, and what have you got coming up, Jen? So at the moment, I am writing my newsletter every week, where I also talk about bakery, restaurants, and things as well as chocolate, and I am. Mostly doing larger group tours now, so kind of 10 to 12 people. So I do a lot of um, corporate away days yeah. and client entertaining. And then I also go in and do talks to um, groups and businesses and about Amazing. chocolate. So it's a much more entertaining after dinner talk yeah. when you actually get to eat chocolate <laughs> at the same time. So in that, from that first Mars bar, you really did make it work <laughs> as a business. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite bizarre, but I'm... I'm very lucky I get to eat chocolate every day and call it work. <laughs> and where can people keep up with what you're doing? Where's the best place to connect with you? If you subscribe to my Substack, which is jenniferearl.substack.com, that's probably yeah. the easiest way. And you reply to emails and I'll yeah. reply to you. Uh, and I'm on um, Instagram at jennifer.earl and at the next delicious thing and at chocolate tours. Way too many. <laughs> that's fine. That's the more, the more information, the better. Well, thank you so much for coming to chat to us today. It's been fascinating. Thank you. We're going to eat some chocolate now. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.